midday, and the, the Rural Radio Network presents the Midday Program. It's a collection of information from all points around the compass here, whether it is agriculture, sports, the business, the weather, the news. It's all part of the package we call Midday. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we are here today and uh, welcoming to this microphone, at least to this part of the day, Clay Patton, who is in here for, I guess, a... The, the the young guy always has the fill-in job when everybody else is out there having fun. Exactly. You're the shortstop. You just fill in wherever <laughs> they tell you to go. So All now, right. Susan is right now at the American Sheep Industry, San Antonio, Texas, meeting with a chef right now, discussing the versatility of lamb and their plant plating dishes right now that look absolutely delicious. Oh, wow. So she's in the better spot. Yeah, I would say she is. Now, Shayla's got a lot to do with the beef industry today, does she not? Correct. She's got the beef checkoff report coming up. And then at 1219, we've got Al Dutcher, of course. And the groundhog may have a few good points when it comes to cold weather over the next 7 to 10 days. 1245, we talked the Coors bill. We heard from the legislator yesterday. Now we hear from uh, Jennifer Jones, National Vice President of Wife, and Sid Yoder, Eastern Colorado rancher, one in support, one in opposition to the bill. So here, both sides of the story. And then at 117, we continue with beef with Bryce, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He's talking with the outgoing president, Craig Uden, to talk about passing on that torch later today. All right. Thank you, Clay Patton. Appreciate it very much. And thank you for joining our crew. We appreciate having you on board. It is uh, Jason Jorgensen over here as we head into what is arguably the best and biggest weekend of the sports year. It is, especially if you are into football, Super Bowl Sunday. Matchup between the Eagles and the Patriots. Of course, they met a while back. Another chance for Tom Brady to just raise his level <laughs> up when it comes to talking about the greatest ever. He's the GOAT. Uh he is. You know, for a long time, I was like, no, no, no. He is. You're going with it? <laughs> yeah. All right. He is, especially to play the way that he has yeah. at his age. We will preview the Super Bowl coming up. Speaking of playing well, the Nebraska women's basketball team continues to play well. What a turnaround. Last year, let's face it, they had a dumpster fire of a season. <laughs> they were the worst yeah. team in the Big Ten. And this year, the second time around with Coach Jamie Williams, they've turned things around. They are setting in second place right now in the Big Ten standings. Boy, they really got a handle on it this year, didn't they? They did. I mean, they lost some kids. They brought in some kids. It's all, it's, it's all worked. Yeah. And they're eight and two in league play, and they have a big matchup coming up on Sunday against Maryland. Also, things did not go all that well last night for Creighton. They got their shot at the top-ranked team. They were on the road against Villanova, and unfortunately, Villanova. Hit about 53 pointers last night and blew Creighton out by 20. Yikes. But that, that will happen. You get that kind of shooting going. There's mm. just not you, much. You probably do, should win. Yeah, you can just watch. Uh, Bill, I'm sorry, Bill, what the heck, Bob Brogan. Bill, Bob, whatever. <laughs> it works. Billy Bob Brogan here with the business news. It all works. Stocks are plunging today. And uh, also, um, and this is pretty good news here. 200,000 jobs added in January and pay up by most in eight years. So that's we're watching the economy closely, and that's that uh, that's a pretty good indication the economy's conti- continuing to, to cook yeah. at this time. So we're watching that and several other things. We'll have that coming up. All right. Thank you, Billy Bob. Appreciate that very much. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Now let's take a look at your ag weather. In for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen, brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Well, the forecast for the Midlands remains dry across much of our listening area for the end of the week before an upper-level disturbance does swing through the area, bringing a chance of snow for the latter half of the uh, weekend, and that is likely to brought, bring also some dry and very fluffy snow. Looking at today, though, the partly cloudy skies are continued expected, and under the dominance of that southerly airflow, it's breezy across the area. Warmer temperatures are expected as we get into Saturday, with winds turning more to the west and northwest as the day passes. And after midnight on Saturday and into the daytime hours on Sunday, snow will be moving in, and that will represent a dusting to around two inches of snow possible. Highest amounts are expected to be across south-central Nebraska. Along with the snow, the disturbance pushes a cold front on through the region, and there is the cold that will be coming our way by Sunday. Decreasing clouds for the afternoon with high temperatures in the upper teens to the upper 20s and mostly cloudy skies with highs of 25 to 30 for Monday across much of the north ranging to the 40s in the southwest corner of the state. And for Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a chance of light snow and high temperatures reaching the upper 20s into the upper 30s for the west. 20s are expected for the east. For northeast Colorado, expecting today's high to reach into the mid to upper 40s and even nicer conditions for tomorrow. A mostly cloudy overnight low about 30, partly cloudy but breezy for tomorrow and high temperatures near 50. Northwest and north central Kansas today gets mostly sunny and breezy conditions. High temperatures reaching the upper 40s and south winds at 15 to 25 miles per hour. For tonight, mostly cloudy skies with low temperatures at 28. And Saturday, again, very nice conditions with mostly sunny skies, high temperatures into the mid-50s before the next plunge into Arctic air. Central Nebraska's forecast does have partly cloudy skies and a high temperature in the low to middle 40s with southwest winds at 15 to 25. Tonight, partly cloudy to mostly cloudy skies as low temperatures visit the upper 20s. Saturday, though, will rebound into the upper 40s under partly cloudy skies with northwest winds. 15 to 25. Saturday night, here comes the possibility of precipitation under mostly cloudy skies. A 50% chance of snow with lows about 16. Then snow remains likely in our forecast through Sunday with an accumulation on average of about an inch. High about 20 and northerly winds at 15 to 30 miles an hour. The chance of snow at 70%. The chance you can remove that snow with a broom is pretty good. On Monday, mostly cloudy with a 30% probability of rain possibly mixing with that snow and sleet and a high temperature in the upper 30s. For Monday night, we're back to a 40% chance of snow and low temperatures about 14. That might be a little more problematic because we do get that slight warm-up, so there's a thaw and freeze component in that forecast for the early part of next week. Then Tuesday, look for high temperatures in the upper 30s under mostly cloudy skies. Skies should begin to clear out a bit to partly cloudy and 38 for Wednesday, Thursday, partly cloudy with high temperatures in the low 40s. And weather that is affecting the markets, U.S. models both suggesting better precipitation for the next 10 days in winter wheat areas. That improved moisture, but not a lot, but some is a little. The expected in the uh, hard red winter wheat belt 
Both models now suggesting heavy snowfall totals for Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio in the upcoming couple of weeks, including the eastern half of Iowa. Weather maps and models are a little less outright on the hot dry now. The key is whether the trend is getting any wetter in the European model for Argentina. Having said that, better chances of precipitation are headed into Argentina, while center-west Brazil still looks too wet. The, wither, the uh, wheat tender, rather, from Egypt, looking as though it will go to Russia again, since they were among the lowest of offers. News not too supportive. The U.S. dollar finding strong support from good jobs numbers this morning. And in addition to all those weather factors, and that is affecting the markets. Again, right now, here at the Lexington studios of KRVN, looking at mostly clear skies, 60% relative humidity, barometer at 30.3 and 33 degrees. And that is your ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer. For weather anytime, krvn.com. Another court order has delayed the emission reporting for producers. Washington, D.C. considers biodiesel tax credits, and there is one forecast model that it may help bring moisture to the dry southern plains. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Livestock producers will have until at least May 1st now before they are required to report certain emissions to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The U.S. Court of Appeals for Washington, D.C. Circuit granted a request the EPA made on January 19th to delay the rule. In April 2017, the court threw out an EPA decision to not require livestock operations to report emissions of more than 100 pounds per day of either ammonia or hydrogen sulfide that essentially allowed the reporting rule to take full effect on November 15, 2017. But in November 2017, the court did delay the rule. In its January 19 motion, the EPA said producers are not yet ready to meet the requirements of the mandate. The mandate states that animal feeding operations that contain more than 1,000 head of cattle, 2,500 head of hogs, or 125,000 chickens are defined as concentrated animal feeding operations, or more commonly, CAFOs. Ammonia and hydrogen sulfide submitted from the livestock lagoons have been classified as hazardous and extremely hazardous. The National Pork Producers Council, the U.S. Poultry and Egg Association, and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association have all filed court briefs in support of the EPA's request to delay the mandate. The NCBA has raised a number of concerns about how the rule could affect producers. The first one being prior to the rule, only those cattle operations with a thousand or more animals were required to submit reports. With the new rule, operations with as few as 208 cattle were subject to reporting. In addition, the livestock industry has been concerned about the cost to comply with the reporting requirements and exposure to citizen lawsuits. While the EPA sorts out the emission rules, DTN's Washington Insider shows Senate tax writers have filed legislation to extend more than 30 tax breaks that lapped at the end of 2016. The tax breaks are being contested by top House Republicans. The tax incentives package, which includes biodiesel tax credits, could cost about $20 billion over the next two years, according to an estimate from the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget, an independent watchdog firm. Lawmakers are unlikely to offset that cost with cuts to other programs, leading some lawmakers to oppose the bill because it would further boost the deficit if approved. In prime winter wheat country, things are dry. Parts of Oklahoma, Texas, and further north haven't seen moisture in the past 100 days. Nebraska Extension State Climatologist Al Dutcher talks to us about what needs to happen in the weather patterns for that part of the country to not be in a drought. 
certainly in a northwest flow in the spring, of course, you're dealing with cold air aloft with, you know, the residual impacts of the winter in the upper atmosphere as your surface heats up. You do create an unstable atmosphere, but these are what we call uh, northwest flow type patterns, so they come out of the northwest to the southeast. They're not dealing with a lot of surface moisture. We really need to have a major trophy pattern develop into the western United States with ridging in the eastern United States to bring that deep moisture up into our region so we can still have an active pattern in the spring. Remember that the jet stream is very quick at this time of the year, so those systems pass very rapidly toward the southeast. You get to, you can still get your severe weather, intense rainfall, but they generally are much shorter lived than those slower systems that we see in the later spring and the summer when the jet stream relaxes. Therefore, don't be don't be overly concerned about the increase in severe weather. What my concern is, is do we see improvements in the Dakotas to, to basically hold off two drought areas, one to our north and one to our south, merging and expanding and intensifying. That again, Nebraska Extension State Climatologist Al Dutcher. Have a fun and productive weekend. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. While the groundhog saw his shadow predicting six more weeks of winter, we get a more definitive answer from Nebraska Extension Agriculture climatologist Al Dutcher. Al, what do you think here as we start the month of February? Well, we're definitely going to start it off on the cool trend. Uh, we do have uh, fairly windy conditions today. The winds have at least turned to a southerly direction, but with the wind speeds increasing and the cloud cover over top of us, it's going to feel rather chilly, even though temperatures will be slightly above average across the state, primarily into the mid-upper 30s, at least for our highs. And then as we go to tomorrow, a series of systems will be moving from the northwest as we have a large trough developing across the eastern United States. Being on the backside of that trough, most of the energy will move basically from southern Canada southeastward across our region, with the coldest temperatures most likely going to occur once again across the eastern half of the state, but more importantly, as we move to tomorrow, there are signs that the first system that moves through uh, will be working with a little bit warmer air, particularly across southern Nebraska, so we'll most likely start out in the northwestern part of the state as a rain to slight snow mix changing over to snow as we go through the nighttime hours, and right now it looks like the best accumulating snowfall will be from northwestern Nebraska through central Nebraska, and we're only talking in the area of an inch or two at the most at this present time. And then we see a secondary push of energy coming down Sunday night that may give more important accumulating snowfalls to the eastern part of the state, maybe in that one to two inch range. Then we get a series of waves moving to our region, but it looks like most of those will keep the snow to our north and to our east. Looks like the best opportunity for accumulating snowfall as we go into Monday night, Tuesday, maybe across the northern Nebraska, particularly northeastern Nebraska, and a lot of that will depend on how much moisture we can get with this system. But overall, when you look at this entire week, these series of waves probably will not be more than a couple inches of snowfall in any given location, but the temperatures are certainly going to be more winter-like. We're looking at highs that will be primarily in the early part of the week, stuck into the 20s to the low 30s and then progressively turning warmer as we get toward the end of the week and there are signs that some of those very warm conditions over the western United States will start to build into the region as we go into next weekend and that might start us into a much uh, longer period of above normal temperatures. I think the big uncertainty in terms of that forecast is, is that we're relying on this upper air troughing pattern in the east bringing the cold weather 
And the models have, on occasion, been very uh, inconsistent in their handling of when that upper air trough breaks down. So bearing in mind that this problem has existed in the most likely area that would see cooler temperatures in the eastern, Uni- eastern United States, including eastern Nebraska on the back side of that upper air trough, as we go into next weekend, we'll watch to see where the position of that ridge is and whether it will build completely into the central plains or will be replaced by another surge of cold air coming down the pipeline as we go into late next weekend. That one right now looks like it's going to miss us barely to the east, so there is that chance for cooler conditions essentially across the eastern part of the state. Farther to the south, though, we're still looking for some significant weather makers to bring some moisture to the southern plains. We have many areas of of the Oklahoma Panhandle, Texas Panhandle, southeastern Colorado, and northeastern portions of New Mexico that have not seen measurable moisture now for over 100 days. That's Nebraska Extension agriculture climatologist Al Dutcher joining us today talking about the extended forecast as well, what we could see here over the next 7 to 10 days in Nebraska and the Midwest. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, it is Super Bowl Sunday weekend, and the Gronk has been cleared for the big game. Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski has been approved to play in the big matchup against Philadelphia after being cleared from the concussion protocol. He participated fully in practice yesterday and says he's ready to go, adding that he never doubted that he wouldn't be able to play. He has been sidelined since taking a helmet-to-helmet hit during the AFC title game. And when he looks back on this season and this team, he says things have really come together. This team has came uh, super far uh, from the defense to the offense to special teams. Uh, what makes this team is that everyone's in it together. Mm-hmm. All the players are in it together. All the coaches are in it together. The whole organization's in it together. And we've all stuck together from the very beginning. And uh, we just knew we had to take one week at a time. I mean, it's just not a process. Boom, you hit the switch and you're in the Super Bowl. The Eagles have also had to deal with some adversity this year. Backup quarterback Nick Foles will make the start, and he talks about how he even try to handle things. I'm going to try to keep it as normal as possible. There'll be a little bit more time pregame and halftime and everything, but I'm sure I can find things to do to keep my body warm, looking over the game plan and whatnot uh, to prepare for this game. Best of my ability. Kickoff is set for Sunday in Minneapolis. The Nebraska women's basketball team used a suffocating defensive performance to hold Illinois to just 10 first-half points on their way to a workmanlike 62-47 win over the Fighting Illini. With that victory, Nebraska improves to an impressive 17-6 overall. They're a surprising 8-2 in the Big Ten, while Illinois slipped to 9-15 overall. Coupled with a Purdue win over Michigan, Nebraska climbed into sole possession of second place in the Big Ten, trailing only 11th-ranked Maryland. The Huskers get a shot at the Terrapins this upcoming Sunday afternoon. And it turned out to be a tough night for the Creighton men's basketball team. They lost 98-78 at top-ranked Villanova. Marcus Foster scorched the net for 20 points, but it wasn't enough. Creighton is back in action on Wednesday as they take on DePaul. Well, a prominent baseball agent says players should consider boycotting spring training because of the slow free agent market. Brody Van Wiegenen, co-head of CAA Baseball, says players are outraged by this. Now, J.D. Martinez, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas, Jake Arrieta, Alex Cobb, Greg Holland, and Lance Lynn remain among the dozens of unsigned players with the February 14th start of spring training less than two weeks away. The mandatory reporting date is February 24th. There should be a flurry of activity right before then. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Dave Schroeder. Mostly cloudy skies tonight. Lows in the 20s in the west to the upper 20s in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. A bill designed to protect consumers from identity theft received 34 to 0 first round approval from Nebraska lawmakers yesterday. Senator Adam Moorfeld of Lincoln says he introduced the bill in response to last year's security breach at Equifax, which exposed the personal information of more than 145 million Americans, including 700,000 Nebraska residents. The information exposed included social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and in some cases, driver's license numbers. But my intent is to work with the Attorney General's office to make sure that Nebraskan consumers have the best access to freezing their security, or excuse me, freezing their personal information and their credit information so that their financial data can be protected in these precarious times. The proposal would prevent credit reporting companies from charging a fee to impose or lift a security freeze on a consumer's personal information. It also requires that companies maintain reasonable security procedures and practices to protect such information. A couple of cars of a Union Pacific train derailed between Willow Island and Gothenburg around 2 a.m. this morning. Union Pacific spokeswoman Kristen South says the derailment occurred where tracks run parallel to the highway. No one was hurt and there was no release of any material. South said they were ready to reopen the main line at around 9 a.m. this morning. She says the derailment caused no disruption to Highway 30 traffic. You know, there's no impact to traffic in that area, um, so I would just, you know, advise that people keep um, moving as normal and um, not stop to gawk by any means. South says there's been no determination of cause. A special panel of judges says 11 lawsuits filed in four states against the makers of the herbicide dicamba will be centralized in federal court in St. Louis. The U.S. Judicial Panel on Multidistrict Litigation made the determination regarding farmers' lawsuits filed in Arkansas, Missouri, Kansas, and Illinois. The lawsuits argue that the makers of dicamba are responsible for damage caused by the herbicide to their crops, especially soybeans. An animal rights organization is calling for withholding of federal funds and the firing of a federal researcher at the University of Kansas Medical Group, alleging abuse of research animals. The Stop Animal Exploitation Now organization says the abuse at the KU Medical Center included a mouse being set on fire. A center spokeswoman says the center is committed to ethical and responsible academic research involving animals. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Words, the country of origin recognition system. We've talked with the legislator that brought the bill forward, and as she said in the chambers, there was a lot of folks both for and against the bill. So now we hear from both sides to see what folks supported about the bill and what others uh, didn't like about the bill. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us in support of the bill is Jennifer Jones. Jennifer is National Vice President of Wife women involved in farm economics. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. Talk to us about why you supported the bill and your testimony on the bill. Well, thank you for this opportunity. First off, American producers deserve to be recognized for the superior beef that they raise. Second, the U.S. consumers have a right to easily find out exactly where that same beef is being sold. Currently, there is no system for beef origination labeling. 
Many consumers believe that just because there is a USDA label on packaged meat, that it means that that is a product of the United States. This has been a deliberate tactic used by the packers to sell you imported beef. A USDA label only means that the beef has been inspected. Currently, the United States imports from 19 countries, some of which do not have the same rigorous safety standards as we enforce here. Weiss urges consumers to ask where your beef originated from, support your local producers, and demand USA beef. Jennifer, that's why you supported the bill. Talk to us about your testimony on that day. This bill is extremely important for children and adults with food sensitivities and allergies. In the fall of 16, my son was diagnosed with a rare food-related disease called encephalic gastritis, which caused me to become very aware of the adverse reactions that can occur from food, additives, chemicals, and contaminants. It would be useful if our meat was labeled. The antibiotic cephalosporins, which is banned in the United States, is still being used in Australia to treat animals intended for human consumption. As a mother, consumer, and a producer, I want to know exactly what I am feeding my child, especially knowing that improper labeling could cost him his life. That again, Jennifer Jones, National Vice President of Wife or Women Involved in Farm Economics, who supported the Coors Bill. Now let's go to the opposition and hear from them on why they disagreed with the Coors Bill. Talking about that will be a rancher from Representative Lewis's district, Colorado House District 64, and that's Sid Yoder, a Carville, Colorado rancher. Sid, we thank you for joining us today. Talk about why you were in opposition to this bill and talk about your testimony that day. Well, thank you for having me on, Clay. The bill, relatively short bill, but uh, kind of a problem looking at the very beginning of it, it turned all of the rulemaking ability over to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment to write the rules to enforce the bill. And the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is an unelected bureaucratic body, has had a checkered past with its relationship with the ag industry in the state of Colorado. So, and there was no sideboards on the bill giving them guidance on how to write the rules and how to enforce them. That was kind of a red flag right off the bat. They said that it wouldn't cost much. They uh, were promoting placards on uh, retail shelves. Um, we heard testimony in the hearings from the uh, Colorado uh, Restaurant and Bar Owners Association and as well as from the Tavern Owners Association that said that the way the bill was written, it wouldn't just apply to grocery stores, but it would also apply to them. They were representing over uh, half of the 11,000 employees of the Colorado uh, Restaurant Bar Owners Associations, and they were in opposition to it because it changed the way they did business. Uh, it would put them at a, a point of liability on information that they don't have access to. They couldn't stand the liability of you know, the truth and advertising law that said they would guarantee this was 100% USAB for it wasn't when they don't have the access to that information coming through the supply chain from their meat suppliers. But from my personal perspective, the reason that I was against the bill is it increased government. And in my opinion, it looked like it was trying to legislate a market into existence that the market hasn't demanded. There is 
already available voluntary labeling programs across the state and across the nation where you can promote, for example, certified Angus beef. You have to meet certain criteria, um, and they promote their product and their brand and their label, and they usually draw a premium. You can participate in any variety of those voluntary programs for a premium without government regulation forcing it. I was opposed to creating new government regulations, turning the enforcement and rulemaking ability over to the government, and not having an accountability on the other side of what that looks like. Thank you, Sid. That again, Sid Yoder, a Carmel, Colorado rancher who stood in opposition to the Coors Bill that was voted down in committee 10 to 3. We've heard from both sides, both the pro and the con, to the Coors labeling bill. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton with a check of our closing livestock futures report, joined with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe's, we take a look, had to fight for it, but livestock ending in the green. Green right straight across the board uh, on the livestock. Uh, kind of a mundane day compared to yesterday, um, but it was a firm day, uh, uh, finishing just a little bit higher in the cattle, and that puts them higher for the week. Uh, so it was, ends up being a, a pretty good week. Cutouts at noon were off a little bit, but uh, didn't seem to uh, uh, make much difference, and uh, we still managed to see uh, the rally continue. Over in the feeders, a uh, little bit stronger there, uh, but uh, as usual, they, they are, uh, they, their moves are, are much bigger than the cattle most of the time. They had some triple-digit gains, uh, a lot of talk about uh, the number of feeder cattle that have been placed early and that will uh, tighten up the supply later on, and that reflected in uh, a stronger close. So some triple-digit gains there. Over in the hogs, cash firm once again. Uh, yeah, cutouts at noon about steady. Uh, so we end up with uh, a higher close uh, right straight across the board. After being lower most of the day and most of the deferred contracts, we got them uh, to all rally there at the end. It's a higher close for the week for the hogs, the feeders, and the cattle. So livestock for this week, positive in. That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us on the Rural Radio Network, talking the livestock closing futures, all ending the green here. For more information on Great Plains, call 1-800-328-1034. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Later today, Nebraskan Craig Uden will conclude his term as National Cattlemen's Beef Association president. I'm Bryce Dusky reporting from Phoenix, Arizona at the annual Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show. As Uden prepares to pass on the title, I asked him about what he will remember the most from his year as president. I will remember building a stronger state-national partnership and really going out in the country and elevating what our causes are and why we do what we do, strengthening the uh, uh, strengthen the base. This is a grassroots organization. You know, we've had a lot of positive this week. We had a new administration. We didn't know how that was going to be. We decided to take the offense instead of the defense. Trade's been a huge issue for us, and we're going to continue to keep drumming that beat. We had some uh, some movement this week on the North American Free Trade Agreement, where they're going to host two more meetings. So we think that's positive. You know, we got out of the TPP, so. Uh, We've had a very successful year with Japan, but Japan 
moved along with TPP 11. So consequently, we're going to stay at a 38% tariff and not enjoy that decreasing tariff. Today, that does not really affect us. Long term, it does. So we either have to find a pathway there for uh, uh, a bilateral or figure out a way to re-enter the TPP agreement. But uh, nevertheless, a growing, growing market over in Japan. Opening in China was was wonderful, but we we're going to crawl before we walk, walk before we run, but it's still... So trade is big. Uh, $300 ahead this year, 12% increase. Domestic demand is really good for a product. The high quality that we're producing out there is second to none. We're, we're running somewhere between 79 and 80% choice in prime, with prime being 7 to 9%. Uh, consequently, uh, with all the research we do on safety, safety and quality are two of the main drivers. Consequently, it's no surprise that beef is being uh, consumed very well. Rolling back regulations this year has been a huge issue. Okay. Whether it be waters of the United States, uh, overburdensome gypsum rule, uh, federal lands, we had the BLM uh, 2.0 rule, which gave more control back to the state and local authorities and public lands. There's just a lot of wins and a lot of work still to be done, though. You mentioned being on the front lines of a lot of the conversations with the administration as well. I think you traveled to China with the beef shipments and helped with that opening of that market. How important is it for people to be involved with organizations like NCBA to have their voice heard on the national realm? Well, it's really important to get involved and be you have to understand the challenges before you can look at what the opportunities might be. With this administration, we've had the availability to work with a lot of these agencies. We work with, uh, we've had direct work and working relationships with the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of the EPA, the Secretary of the Interior. Uh, we work on the, we've been working on the volatility of markets, so we've had direct access and working with the CFTC as far as market regulations and oversight, so that we have risk uh, management tools out there that benefit the producers. So there's a whole host of things that we have not uh, always had in the past, and, and it's just a sit-down visit, and when you have uh, uh, some access like that and you can relate with those folks, uh, uh, we've, we've, we've got people in the White House that are, benef that that are representing trade, and we've built relationships there as well. So it, it's, it's really highly, highly uh, uh, positive to have uh, relationships with other organizations as well as administrators with this administration to uh, move our industry forward. Talking with Craig Uden, 2017 president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Nebraska native. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. We're joined now with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grains. And, John, as we take a look, you kind of compare it to what you might call a NASCAR week, as we were talking before the interview. Yeah, you know, you travel a good distance, but you end up right back where you started. Uh, it's kind of been the case here uh, in some of these markets. Uh, I guess a pause, the way I would also say, uh, with wheat, corn, Bolton here, uh, looking for more information regarding the forecast. Uh, the back end of next week uh, will be pretty important. Early the week following uh, will be even more important to make sure we get some rain down there in South America. So South America rain, something we're watching then. What about rain here in the Central Plains? Yeah, so, you know, the key here is weather watching. And, you know, in a market like wheat, it's really put in premium, but the KC, uh, 17 cents over the Chicago, you can see the big inflation prices in those uh, hard red wheat numbers. Uh, if the forecast would change, all of a sudden show some rain, 
I, I think this thing will drop like a stone and it'll, it'll happen really quickly. That's been the MO of the wheat market in the past. We rally up at a lot of premium in the, mar- premium in the market, kind of tempt those with, uh, I guess, nerves of steel who want to sell into some uncertainty. And if it, they're right and uh, they end up having the crop or we get some rain, the market falls apart, uh, as we've seen in corn and wheat in the past. Uh, but in the case of the South American story, especially in Argentina, you know, the, the models that will come out this weekend, we'll, we'll get an idea of what it's going to look like uh, over the next two weeks. And it's a heck of a lot more of a short-term story in, in South America than it is in the Kansas wheat region. So obviously it's dry, but, you know, we catch a March rain or an April rain, things can be alleviated uh, pretty quickly. Maybe we don't get a bumper crop, but we will have a crop. Uh, if we don't get a rain, uh, you know, over the next two or three weeks in Argentina, uh, with 100 degrees that we're seeing right now, you're going to start to see these yields trimmed pretty quickly, and I think that'll put a pretty good move in corn and beans. John, let's switch to exports now. We've seen some pretty good tenders come out today and really all this week. The U.S. dollar starting to come back a little bit. Does that look to affect anything coming up next week? No, it doesn't bother me a bit. I mean, the dollar's weak, and I think it'll correct here as we see some good news kind of put into it. But the trend is essentially down, and I think you'll get some of the outside markets like the Russian ruble and the uh, Brazilian RII. Those have been very, very strong against the dollar, and I think those are the exports of the competition we're going to have. The corn market really competition is more due to weather down in South America. So I think that we're going to start to see some movement here in, uh, in corn if this weather can work out. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can contact Daniels Ag Marketing at danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com, the place to talk. We take a look at the settlements, and they are red across the board when it comes to corn, wheat, and soybeans today on the Rural Radio Network.